Welcome back to the MedThread. Today we've got a special guest with us. Sarah is a recent graduate of Memorial and our pharmacy resident here. She's had an interesting topic in mind for us to chat about and we're super excited to have her join us. Welcome Sarah. Hi everybody, happy to be here. Thanks for joining us Sarah. So yesterday I went to the mall looking for a pair of shoes. I get there, look through some of the options, and one catches my eye. I've got to try it on though, so I ask the salesperson for my size. They go back and check and come out saying they don't have it. I ask them to check another store. And 10 minutes later, they tell me it's available there and they're willing to ship it over to me. But it'll take five business days. So I walk out of the store 20 minutes later with nothing and have to come back in a week. We've all experienced something like this before. But what happens when it's medications? Drug shortages are becoming an increasingly prevalent conversation topic within the profession. Most healthcare professionals cringe when they hear the word drug shortage or back order, and it is certainly a problem that is burdening our healthcare system. Today, we will discuss the realities of the drug shortage crisis in Canada. We will dive into a history of how they have affected the healthcare sector over the past number of years and why drug shortages happen in the first place. We will discuss how the United States is looking to integrate into Canadian pharmaceutical industry. And finally, we will look at how us as healthcare practitioners can better manage drug shortages in order to provide the least amount of disruption to the workflow and to our patients' care. According to Health Canada, a drug shortage can be defined as a situation in which the manufacturer is unable to meet the demand for the drug. This leads to a chain of wholesalers, pharmacies, and ultimately patients being unable to acquire that medication. And in 2018, Abacus Data Survey indicated that one in four Canadians have been either personally affected or know of someone who has been affected by a drug shortage. For pharmacists, it's an everyday occurrence. So we have a story here for you. One example that I can think of that has been a recent little bit of a crisis in the pharmacy world is the nifedipine XL shortage. So this is the brand name Adelat XL, and there are quite a number of patients on this medication. And when it first went on back order, I was in community and I realized, you know, it's just the 30 milligram strength that had gone on back order. So, you know, not too hard of a situation in the sense that I could easily call a prescriber and say, you know, if this patient's blood pressure is controlled, maybe they could go to the 20 milligram dose. That could be something that they could tolerate and may still get them at the blood pressure target that they're looking for. The other option is if they're not controlled to have the opportunity to increase it up to 60. The 20s and the 60s were still available. So unfortunately, that quickly changed because I think then also the supply and demand changes because then with the 30s not available, the 20s went short and then the 60s went short. So all of the Adelats went short pretty quickly. And I'm not quite sure why uh, the shortage actually occurred, but I believe it was something to do with the manufacturing. And so after, you know, switching people to the 20s, unfortunately, when they went on back order, we had to switch them to another agent like amlodipine, or sometimes the physician was smart enough to think that something else might be coming down the pipeline in terms of these drug shortages and switching them to amlodipine right from the get-go. Yeah, so we had a similar situation when I was working at the community pharmacy, um, and we had an Epival um, shortage, uh, so Divalprox, 
And this one is a little bit harder to switch because a lot of patients will use it for uh, seizure disorders um, or bipolar disorder, and they are you know, well controlled on this medication. So what ended up happening was, um, again, we were not sure of the reason for the shortage. Um, we, we heard that there was a manufacturing issue, um, but really that doesn't tell us a whole lot. Um, so the pharmacy chain that I was working for started rationing out the orders. So each store could not order more than one or two bottles of the medication per week. And uh, that seemed to help weather some of the uh, supply and demand um, issues. But for our patients, it could be quite difficult because um, some patients take several of these tablets a day. And if they don't have it, they could get things like seizures. Uh, the other option was to switch them to valproic acid, but then that one also uh, came up short, similar to the what happened with the nifedipine uh, strengths. And I know the rationing is certainly um, frustrating, I guess, when it comes to community, but I know as a pharmacist, when you recognize something's going on back order, I think your first reflex is to order as much as you possibly can before it actually happens. But the rationing is certainly, I guess, the more just way to do things. Yeah, and we're thinking about our patients, right? The number of patients that we have uh, on those medications, we don't want them to be short. And sometimes it's it, it's hard to, to think outside of that and, and realize that, hey, this is happening everywhere. And um, if you have a lot in stock, um, good for your patients, but somebody else is left out to dry. Absolutely. Many pharmacists have been feeling the burden of drug shortages on their day-to-day -day work increase within the past few years. As well, increasing presence of media in the profession allows for much more public visibility and commentary around the situation. The outcry surrounding drug shortages has been happening for many years. In 2012, an emergency debate was started in the House of Commons after drug manufacturer Sandoz was forced to discontinue or disrupt production of a large number of products due to quality control issues. This led to the institution of voluntary reporting of drug shortages by manufacturers, which was then changed to mandatory reporting in 2017 as for Health Canada legislation. But why is it that drug shortages happen in the first place? There are many factors that can contribute to a shortage, and that can vary depending on if it is a generic drug shortage or brand drug shortage. Generic drug shortages are the most common, as over 70% of shortages occur within generic drugs. Generic drug shortages are often caused by a shortage in one company, which means that the burden of drug production of that medication is split amongst the remaining generic companies in the market. The remaining companies are often not able to adjust their manufacturing schedule or budget to accommodate for this increased demand and the other companies can also fall into a shortage. This cascade of shortages for a drug can even potentiate to span across drug classes. For instance, the large Valsartan recall from this year is showing a chain effect of other angiotensin receptor blockers going on back order, likely due to patient care teams looking to prescribe alternatives for their patients at a quick rate. Sometimes, companies can stop production of a drug because it is no longer profitable. This consolidates the market. 
This can also be seen when companies merge. For example, if company A purchases company B, company A may decide that some of the drugs that company B produces are no longer profitable, and therefore those drugs could be discontinued. This tightens the market. Sometimes, quality control issues can shut down production as the company looks to solve the problem. This was the case with the Alicina tablets, a generic form of the oral contraceptive LS. These went on backwater due to chipped tablets in some of the packages. Right, this cascade of shortages happens quite often because the pharmaceutical company has a production facility that is making a certain medication, and when they finish making that medication and they have to make something else, they have to go through a long cycle of cleaning the machinery, retesting this machinery, and recalibrating everything before they can do this. And that may impact their manufacturing schedule. So a couple years ago, Talon number one, the brand name product, decided that they weren't going to manufacture any more of their product. So the generic manufacturers had to make up for that demand. Unfortunately, for the people who were using the brand name product, they now had no option and they had to switch to something else. But as we alluded to before, if everybody had to switch to something else, there was very likely to be a shortage of that other product as well. And I guess in the same vein, in the last couple months, the brand name Adisol 30 stopped being produced as well. So that's being switched to other generics, and who knows what we may see. They may also go on back order and have that cascading effect. Another example that comes to mind is the brand name OxyContin and how its formulation was changed to OxyNeo to make it a more safer product and to be less involved in drug diversion. So actually when the formulation was changed, it was now a much more expensive product and now we run into coverage issues. So patients that were getting OxyContin didn't necessarily automatically be able to get OxyNeo. Right now there are generic versions of OxyContin available that patients are often taking. So we didn't get any further ahead with a safer product because it came at much more of an expensive price tag. That's right. Drug manufacturing companies in Canada buy the raw molecular form of the drug they make from active pharmaceutical ingredients manufacturers or API manufacturers. Many of these companies are located overseas, however are regulated by the Canadian government for good manufacturing practice. Should the factory not meet standards, this may lead to a temporary or permanent shutdown of production which can significantly limit a drug manufacturing company from sourcing the materials they need in order to produce their product. This can affect brand and generic companies alike, as brand drug companies are outsourcing their API production more and more in order to maintain cost-effective production. Oftentimes, all generic companies, or sometimes even the brand name companies for a certain medication, may all be sourced from the same API manufacturer which can cause blanket shortages across all manufacturers in the case of an API company shutdown. Many Canadian drug companies, particularly generic companies, are running on tighter annual budgets as the provincial government puts tighter limits on the maximum costs for popular and medically necessary drugs in order to limit costs for patients. The lower profit and potential loss that generic companies are experiencing may require companies to cut production of lower performing drugs 
or they may be narrowing their predictions of the demand of a drug in order to avoid overproducing and lowering profits, which may lead to a shortage if their predictions are incorrect. As discussions ramp up regarding a potential national pharmacare program in Canada, the potential addition of bulk purchasing for drugs may lead to certain generic companies having a larger share of the market of that drug, and should that manufacturer have a quality control problem at some point down the line, it may lead to increased drug shortages. And we talked about how companies buy other companies, and this is sort of the case here. In Canada, we don't have that many generic drug companies, so if one company stops production, then we might be out of the drug completely. A little different in the U.S. The U.S. have a lot more generic drug companies, but they have their own set of problems. So U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders recently made headlines by crossing the Canadian border to purchase insulin, for which he says is about one-tenth the price in Canada as compared to the U.S. Both Sanders and current U.S. President Donald Trump endorsed the concept of American residents being able to import necessary medications from Canada at a fraction of the cost that citizens would pay in the U.S. Trump defines this as the Safe Importation Action Plan, which would allow pharmacies and drug manufacturers to submit proposals to import prescriptions from Canada for federal approval. The Canadian federal government has maintained an open-minded stance on the topic and have assured that they will put procedures in place to ensure Canadians will not be negatively impacted by this decision. American drug prices, particularly for brand name drugs, are significantly higher than that of our country. While the market competition keeps generic drug prices down in the U.S., the American federal government is not allowed to negotiate drug prices with manufacturers, and therefore, brand name manufacturers have a monopoly on the price of the medications they produce. The Canadian government, in the form of the Patented Medicine Prices Review Board, worked together with innovator drug companies to negotiate to ensure that the medication is fairly priced so that unnecessary costs for Canadian patients are limited. The Canadian government compares the prices of proposed medications to those seen in other countries to ensure that they are just. And actually, in a very recent change, the Patented Medicine Prices Review Board removed the U.S. and Switzerland from its list of reference countries because the prices are just too high. There has been very public backlash from Canadian advocacy organizations about the potential American export of drugs. The Canadian Pharmacists Association has released a joint statement with the American Pharmacists Association, publicly opposing the importation of Canadian drugs to the U.S. In this statement, they cite concerns of patient safety due to being unable to appropriately assess patients' medical history across borders, as well as concerns about Canadian industry being able to keep up with such a large population increase. The Canadian Medical Association has also publicly opposed this concept, worried about potential increased shortages and that the supply in Canada does not exist to meet this new demand. However, should this change be implemented, the good news is that the Canadian market will have some time to prepare, as these changes will likely take years to implement. So some of these policies already exist for drugs that we don't make in Canada. So there are policies that allow for pharmacies and, and physicians to import drugs from other countries for certain conditions um, where the drug is just not approved in Canada. But that's a very small number of people.
When many of us think of drug shortage, EpiPens are often the first thing to come to mind. EpiPens have gone on back order many times over the past years. Recently, a lot of us may think about the situation where um, competitor product Allergect uh, was recalled and then all of the patients that were using Allergect um, as their medication were switched to EpiPen as the alternative. This led to a supply and demand issue where EpiPen manufacturers just couldn't keep up with the increased demand. However, there are many factors that contribute to EpiPen frequently going on back order. For instance, the expiry on EpiPens is actually quite short, usually only about a year. And every September, a lot of schools often mandate that their students with allergies have two new EpiPens accessible for the school. So a lot of parents are going to pharmacies every September to purchase new EpiPens. And I know that in community, we're trying to really combat this. And unfortunately, when it goes on backorder, you do have to ration it out in order for every child to have at least access to one EpiPen. So in some cases, we're actually telling parents, you know, there is a shortage. We are on a rationing plan, so your child can only have one. And sometimes it doesn't go over well. But when you kind of explain that, you know, this could result in a child not having access to any EpiPen, it usually is pretty well received. And then when you can get the other EpiPens in, of course we can give it to more patients in that case. And of course, one of the biggest problems is that there is only one manufacturer of EpiPen. Um, and until we get more manufacturers, it will be hard to um, keep up with this demand. But now the big question here is, how can us as pharmacists better help our patients with drug shortages? In Canada, drug shortages are reported through Health Canada's online reporting database DrugShortagesCanada.com. This database allows manufacturers to declare when an anticipated shortage exists, when a confirmed shortage exists, as well as discontinuations of drugs. Pharmacists can help manage drug shortages for their patients by being proactive and keeping an eye on anticipated shortages to help either manage stock accordingly or to have a discussion with patients that may be affected and prepare them and make changes if necessary. Checking with the manufacturer or the wholesaler to help see when the drug is expected to return to stock can help the pharmacist decide whether the shortage for a patient can be managed by providing a short-term supply until the shortage subsides, or if it requires intervention such as changing the drug entirely for a longer-term solution. In provinces where pharmacists have the ability to prescribe or medication manage their patients' prescriptions, Pharmacists can look to maximize their scope by substituting their patients' prescriptions wherever possible in order to limit the increasing burden on the healthcare system caused by referring patients to their physician or the ER for new prescriptions. And I think this is a great opportunity for interprofessional collaboration when a medication is going on back order. And if you work with a particular team of physicians, kind of making them aware and then suggesting alternatives uh, to kind of deal with the situation before it ends up being a crisis is always a great idea. So really educating and having those conversations with the prescribers about what's the next best choice if a drug looks like it could be going on back order or is currently on back order. And we have one more little story here um, where this interprofessional collaboration actually works quite well. And it's the vitamin K injectable shortage that we experienced um, this past year and uh, experienced before as well. So vitamin K injection is given to newborns to prevent a bleeding disease. And it's also used to treat severe bleeding due to warfarin use. 
Um, and so in the hospital, the hospital would produce a guide to tell prescribers when they should use oral vitamin K instead of the injectable so that to make sure that there's enough injectable vitamin K to go around, uh, I mean, especially for the newborns and the people that are bleeding out. And these are all contingency plans. Hospitals, community pharmacies, and organizations create these plans in cases of shortages, but we cannot anticipate all of them. And in your day-to-day patient care, it's quite hard, partly due to incomplete information, distribution problems, and hoarding. Ultimately, drug shortages are always going to be something that are present within our profession. The best solution is going to be collaboration between patients, the pharmacy team, and prescribers in order to deal with these issues for our patients. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Med Thread, and thanks so much for joining us, Sarah. We hope to have you back in the future for another chat. For our next episode, we'll be joined by our other resident, and they'll talk about what they're interested in. And as always, you can send any suggestions and comments to medthread at mon.ca. We'd be happy to hear from you. I'll catch you next time.